Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, the first 14 verses, under the heading, Our New Lives in Christ. Let's begin our reading in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Here ends the reading of God's Word this morning. Blessed congregation, that God's grace is a license for sin is one of Satan's oldest tactics. This is a dilemma that all Christians have been confronted with in their life. If God's grace is so free, if God's grace is so great, if God's grace is so super abundant, Will He not be willing to overlook, to cover my sin? Remember that in Romans 5, Paul has taught us that justification brings peace with God. That's 5 verses 1-11. through That believers are justified before God by Jesus, not by Adam. So that sin and death no longer govern them. That Jesus is our head. He is our life. He is our grace. And in Him, righteousness reigns. And still, Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So great is Paul's emphasis on grace that it may seem to the Pharisaical among them of which Paul himself once was, may I remind you, that he is minimizing the value of works. 
that he's lessening the ethical requirements of the law. If this was a classroom, somebody might shoot a hand up and say, Pastor Paul, what about holiness? What about sanctification? Are you saying we're not called to these things? Remember, this was the very same charge that was brought against Martin Luther in the 16th century. When Luther began to teach that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, through the, for the glory of God alone, to the word of, or through the Word of God alone, to the glory of God alone, the detractors said, you are giving license to sin. They said, you are an antinomian. This is a word we need to learn this morning. Anti means against. Namas is the Greek word for law. They said, Luther, you are against the law. If justification is holy of grace, does this mean people can live however they want? It's a serious charge. But it's exactly what Paul addresses in Romans 6. And I'll have you know that when the reformers were charged with giving license to sin, they appealed to Romans 6. They said, we're saying nothing but what Paul himself is saying. Paul teaches that we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Not by a faith without holiness. Now, this is not only a theological discussion for pastors and theologians, but every time the gospel is preached, the demon of antinomianism knocks on the door of your heart. The demon of anti-law. You may have even felt it in these last few weeks as pastor has been preaching that you are justified by faith. That means that you are forgiven no matter what your good works are. They don't count. They're not your righteousness before God. No matter how great your sin is, they don't condemn you before God. You might have said or felt that nagging thing in the back of your mind If I'm justified by faith, then my works don't matter. If works, Satan teaches us, don't matter, then don't worry about sin. The congregation, that's Satan talking. It's the opposite of the Gospel. Jesus died to give you a new life from sin. Not to give you a new life for sin. Did you catch that? Jesus died to give you a new life from sin. Not to give you a new life for sin. What I want to show you this morning is that it's impossible for believers who have died in Christ to live in sin. That's our theme this morning. It's impossible for believers who have died in Christ to live in sin. We have three points, and I've tweaked them a touch from what's in your bulletin for you note takers. That we are united in Jesus' death. That's our first point. Our second point is that we're united in Jesus' resurrection power. And then our third point is that we are united in Jesus' heavenly life. 
united in Jesus' death, united in His resurrection power, and united in His heavenly life. Let's look first that the believers, Paul teaches, are united in Jesus' death. Verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And here what Paul's doing in verse 1 is he's defining what his critics are saying about him. See, Paul's critics of his Gospel imagine that his, what his message is teaching promotes sin. If you flip back to, in your Bibles to Romans 3, verse 8, he briefly alluded to this, where some said of him, why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying. That's what people perceived about Paul's message. They perceived his understanding of grace promoted a lawless lifestyle. Promoted an evil lifestyle. And this spirit was well and alive in the early church. This can be seen in verse 1 in the key word, continue. Circle that in your Bible. Because it's in the present tense. So when Paul says, are we to continue in sin, he's not saying, do we sin? Which the answer, of course, is yes. He's not saying, does God permit, or or does God permit, excuse me, or does God forgive sins? The question he's asking in verse 1 is, does God permit ongoing sin? Does God allow persistent, continuous sin that grace may abound? And I don't think Paul is only dealing with critics here. He himself is critical of grace equaling lawlessness. But I think what he's really concerned with is that there are some people who are pleased with teaching like that. Isn't there? We are sinners. God is gracious. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What a perfect situation! I sin, God forgives. I pursue my lusts, what I desire, uh, my worldliness, my sinful flesh, and God forgives. Perfect situation. So let us go on sinning so that grace may increase, some might think. In fact, we know that this was present in the minds of people in the early church because Jude, his short letter, He says that that's the whole reason he wrote his letter. In Jude chapter 4, he says he writes his letter because some ungodly people have perverted the grace of God into sensuality. That's Jude verse 4. Sinners can sometimes fall into the temptation of abusing God's grace. And Paul knows how sinful people think. He knows we're tempted by the idea that I can have Jesus, I can have a way to heaven, and I can also have my sin. He's right. 
We are tempted to that. There was a famous monk, Russian monk, slash holy man, whatever you want to call him, who gained great fame for his teaching. His name was Rasputin. He even became the advisor to the Roman, or excuse me, the Russian emperor. And his theology was essentially this, the more a person sins, the more grace he will receive. So sin with gusto. The problem with antinomianism, the problem with a, the, a theology that says grace equals licentiousness, Grace equals lawlessness. The problem with this view is that it takes sin lightly. It takes sin lightly. And Paul rejects this. Look at his response in verse 2. His response is vehement. By no means is a term frequently used by the Apostle Paul throughout the book of Romans. Which doesn't just express a denial, but abhorrence. He's aghast, if you will. He's, he can hardly believe that you would come to that conclusion. In fact, I think the ESV translation here is, is, is a little weak. And that the King James Version catches it better when it uses the language of, God forbid! He is disturbed. This is the complete opposite of what he's been trying to teach that we could continue in sin. As a preacher, I myself have felt what Paul is feeling. When you labor in the Word, and maybe you're not as clear as you should be, or the listener, uh, it's missing the message is misunderstood by the listener. And they come up to you and they say the complete opposite of what you're trying to tell them. Once, when I was a younger preacher, I was preaching through the book of Luke and teaching that Christ is the only way to heaven, the truth, the life. And somebody came up to me and said, but what about the rich young ruler? Jesus said, if you sell everything, you will go to heaven. He's, Jesus taught him that there are two ways to the Father. What was my response? God forbid! By no means! That's the complete opposite of what I'm trying to teach you. This is the level of shock that Paul has here. The whole point of Romans is the Gospel and what they're thinking about Him is the complete opposite. Jesus died to save us from sin and the wrath that results from it, not save us for sin. And so we can't take it lightly. How can we, he says, who have died to sin, still live in it? In the Greek, in verse 21, the main word is actually sin. See, in Paul's mind, sin has power. Sin rules. Sin reigns. Look at verse 21 of chapter 5. Sin reigned in death. And in the next few chapters, Paul is going to personify sin as a brutal taskmaster. 
You see this in verse 16 of chapter 6. We are slaves to sin. Verse 17, slaves to sin. Verse 19, etc. We are slaves. Sin is a taskmaster. And he's brutal. Sin demands control and has authority over its subjects. And sin doesn't care about you. Sin doesn't care if it destroys your family. Sin doesn't care if it destroys your life. And when we take sin lightly, we're letting it have its way with us. And one of the great problems of taking sin lightly is it means that we're not understanding the Gospel, doesn't it? Because Jesus died because of our sin. Christ went to the cross because of our sin. If we take sin lightly, do we not then take Jesus' sacrifice lightly? What He did for us lightly? Paul rejects the idea that grace leads to lawlessness because it misunderstands the work of Jesus. Look at verses 2 and 3. How can we who have died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? How can you serve the taskmaster's sin with what Jesus did for you? And remember that when you were baptized, you died with Christ. Boys and girls, do you know that when people in the ancient world became slaves to something, to someone, excuse me, they would often be slaves of that person for the rest of their lives. They would never be free of that person. The only time they would be free was when they died. Once you died, you were no longer a servant of your Master. That's what Paul is saying about sin. That when you were baptized into Jesus, when you died with Jesus, you died to sin. You're dead in, your, you're dead in Christ. And no matter how much the Master yells at you, no matter how much He tries to get you to serve Him, you can't do, or it, a corpse can't do anything because it's dead. And in the same way, a dead body can no longer serve their Master. A Christian can no longer live in reckless, unchecked abandon because he's dead to sin. Now last time I checked, I have a pulse. And you are all awake and breathing. I hope. But Paul says you're dead. If you have been baptized in Christ's name, you're dead. Christian, do you realize you're dead? Your sins, your sin nature are in the tomb where Christ was laid. 
when he was crucified, your sin nature was crucified. When you, when he was crucified, your sins were crucified. Apostle Paul tells us this in Colossians 3, that he took our sins and he nailed them to the cross. What this means is that the taskmaster, the slave owner, does not have dominion over you. You are free. Just like a servant who died is not, does not have to serve their master, you are free. Free from temptation. You are free from sin's power. You are free from sin's rule. If Jesus died and went to the grave with your nature and your sins, you are free. And baptism testifies to this, that every part of Jesus' life you are united to. In Jesus' death, you died. Sin does not have authority over you. Just like a man is no longer a child, just like a free person is no longer a prisoner, the moment you become a Christian, you are no longer under the ruling power of sin. You've been given something incredible in Christ's death. Now let's establish what Paul is not saying. He's not saying that Christians never sin. I like the way Sproul puts it. He says, in Christ we are crucified, but the old man still kicks and screams. We still have to do battle in this life. All the days of our lives, we struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But what Paul is saying is that you have the ability. You can fight against sin. So don't be complacent. Don't remain in sin. But turn and fight with the power of Christ. That's what Paul leads us to in our second point is that we're united in Jesus' resurrection power. See, it's not only that we died with Christ, but that we're given something when He rises from the dead. So when we come to Christ, Christians, when we are born anew, in a very real sense, we are crucified, but we are also raised. Remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are not only united with Jesus in His death, but by faith, we take the first steps into the new creation with Christ. We are given a new existence. We are raised according to the inner man. We are united with Him, not only in His death, but also in His resurrection. Verses 4 and 5, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, 
we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. These verses go together and they talk about an intense unity between Christ and His people. United with Christ. Joined with Christ. Again, I like the way the King James Version puts it. It says we're planted with Christ. The word in the Greek is suggestive of close close ties like intertwined plants growing together. I know how strong this can be when plants grow together. My first job as a young boy in southern Ontario was I got hired by a farmer who we went to church with and he had a couple hundred acres of farmland with wire fence perimeter. And I don't know if you have them here, but in Ontario we have these vines that would grow up these fences. And they were so strong they could pull the fence right down. And so if you have a couple hundred acres of fencing, you need to take those vines off. You can't put up a new fence every couple years. And so my job was to go and I would snip the vines, put them over my shoulder, and I'd pull them off the fence. It was hot. It was dirty work. And it was hard work. Because when the vines grew together through the wire fence, they became very strong, bound together. That's what Paul is saying about Christ here. That you are united with Him. You're woven together with Him. Not only in His death, but you're united in His power. You're united in His life. And I don't think Paul's referring to the future bodily resurrection. He's referring to your life right now. Right now, there is the resurrection power in your life. Right now, you have the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Paul says, behold, the new has come. Right here, right now. Allow me to put it in explicit language, congregation. Christian, you are the new creation. When you are baptized and believe and trust Christ. The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I don't know if this is not preached enough or maybe it hasn't hit home in our hearts yet. But do we live a life as if the power of sin has been broken? That's what Paul's teaching here. In Christ, the power of sin has been defeated. In verses 6 and 7, he gives two pictures of the power of sin. The old self and the body of sin. Look at this. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin 
might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with Him. The old self, the body of sin, are both broken, says Paul. The power of sin is defeated. Old self represents our identity in Adam and the sinfulness that comes from it. Body of sin represents the whole person. How every sin is committed in the body. Paul says they're both crucified. They've been brought to nothing in Christ. Your sinful nature Your sinful actions, the reign of sin, Paul says, is undone. It is annulled in Jesus. Allow me to be as clear as I can possibly be. If you are united in Jesus' death and resurrection, sin no longer controls you. Sin no longer controls you. You are redeemed. In the fullest sense of the word. Sin is no longer your master. Christ is your master. For the redeemed, Augustine says, you are able not to sin. In our unregenerate state, and before we come to know Christ, all we can do is pick and choose between which sin to choose and which sin not to choose. But those who are regenerated, those who have been brought into union with Christ, those who have life with Christ, sin is broken. Paul says, for the one who has been died has been set free from sin. You are free this morning. And that word, set free, you'll love this, is the same word Paul uses throughout Romans for justify. Do you remember what justification is? Our right standing before God. That when God looks at us, He treats me as if I've never sinned or been a sinner. It's His declaration. It's His pronouncement. Here Paul is saying, That God not only pronounces you free from sin, but you are also pronounced free from sin's power. Like a courtroom where the judge brings the guilty person before him and declares him free, not only the guilt of his misdeed, but also the power of his misdeeds. Jesus does not only remove sin from us, but He gives us His resurrection power. He terminates sin's power. Notice what Paul says in verse 6. He says, we know. 
that our old self was crucified in Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Nothing. He's saying we know that we are free from sin. But do we? See, the break with sin that Paul is describing seems to clash with our experience. Paul has said that in Christ we have been granted freedom from sin's power, yet we do still struggle with sin mightily in this life. We know that. We know that we can stay angry for days. We know that we self-medicate our anxieties. We know that we, when we have a trial, we are more likely to turn to alcohol, drugs, food, sex, rage. We know that we have subtle sins in our hearts. Couples sleep all alone in the same bed because we'll never admit I was wrong. Or I'm sorry. If Paul says we are free in Christ, free from the power of sin, how do we reckon that freedom with the bondage that we feel? The bondage to sin in life. Thomas Boston, famous Puritan, wrote wrote an incredible book called The Human Nature in Its Fourfold State. And he says that for the redeemed, recovery has begun but it's not completed. But that when we are redeemed, we are free to choose righteousness. We are able not to sin, but we still must look forward to that great day when we will see Christ face to face, we will be made perfect as He is, and we will not be able to sin. But you are no longer enslaved. You have been set free. This doesn't mean that we are not weak. This doesn't mean that we do not fail to resist sin. But God has raised you from spiritual death and He has given you grace. And you no longer must sin. Satan tells you you must. Jesus tells you you are free. You are free to choose Christ. Young man and young woman, you've been set free to choose Jesus. You do not have to have premarital sex. You do not have to look at pornography. In Christ, you've been set free. Young woman, young housewife, you have been set free to choose Jesus. Not anger with your children. You have been set free to choose Jesus, not alcohol. God's grace does not equal licentiousness. His grace equals that we have been given the freedom to love and to serve Christ. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they lost this freedom. They lost the freedom to love God aright, to serve Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, Paul is saying Jesus gives it back to you. Well, we do still struggle with sin, 
please look with me at verse 5 of Romans 6. And I want you just to notice a little word there. If we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. He will always be with us. Even as we struggle with sin and temptation in this life, even though we have the resurrection power of Christ, we still deal with sins, but the, the Gospel promises that Jesus will never abandon or forsake you. His grace is greater than even the sins we struggle with in this life. Take comfort, my friends. Jesus is with you. And finally, if we have died with Christ, if we've risen with Christ, given His resurrection power, Paul reminds us that we'll also live with Christ. It's our third point. United to Jesus' heavenly life. Verse 8, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Notice here that the sense is not, well, perhaps if we have died with Christ. No, it says, since we have died with Christ. Present tense. Current reality. Death to sin. We've experienced it. But Paul says, logically, what follows death in Christ is also life in Christ. We know, says Paul, because that's what Jesus did. And because we have union with Jesus, because we are intertwined with Him, because He died, He rose, and now He lives, we also die, rise, and live. That Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. What this means is that at one point, death really and truly had dominion over Christ. That when He was born of the Virgin Mary and He lived His life, death had dominion. He tasted death, says the Word of God. He, for three days, held in death strong bands, but the grave could not contain Him. Death could not hold Him. But the power that was His, He rose from the dead. And through death, Jesus conquered death. And His resurrection, Paul says, breaks the power of death. The resurrection changed Jesus and He will never die again. This is why Paul says He lives to God. And Jesus declares in Revelation 1, I am the living One. I was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore and the keys of death and Hades are in My hand. Paul says His resurrection life, His life He lives to God is ours, our present reality. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we must reckon ourselves dead in His crucifixion. We must reckon ourselves risen in His resurrection. We need to reckon ourselves spiritually alive in Jesus' life. The reign of sin has been broken. 
And when sin tempts you to make it obey its passions, it needs to be repelled and resisted. Let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Okay, I need to say one thing here. Paul is calling us to fight sin. But I know that sometimes it feels hopeless. We say, we hear a pastor say, you need to resist sin, and all it does is discourage us. It feels like our, in our walk of holiness, the only thing we get better at is repenting, not resisting. And sometimes the call to holiness only feels like a call to failure. Christian, don't be discouraged. When Paul says, do not present your members to sin as an instrument for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members as instruments for righteousness, he is not saying to you, man up. He's not saying, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. He's saying, you're alive. Satan wants to tell you, you can't resist, that you have to obey your lust, your desires, and your sins. But Paul's saying, there's a way out. There's relief for you in Jesus' life. He will provide a way out in your temptation. And all we have to do is turn to our Savior in heaven. Receive Him, rest in Him, and trust that He has a better way for us than Satan does. God has promised that every time we are presented with a temptation, that He will provide a way out. Turn to the Savior who lives in heaven. This doesn't mean that we don't struggle in this life. We carry much baggage from this life into the next. Sinful patterns of behavior don't disappear overnight. But when he says present your members to God as instruments for righteousness, he says run. Run to God. Run to His means of grace. When you're struggling with sin, take up the Word and read when sin trips you up, be on your face before God in prayer. Never miss the opportunity for, corp- for the corporate worship of God. Present yourself to Him. Live for Him. Live your whole life in service of Him. Not by your own strength, but in the power of Christ's resurrection. My friends, do you know that you're free from sin this morning? The very thing that has been beating you up all your life, seeking to kill you, to take away your family, to destroy you, Christ has broken His power in His death. He has given you power in His resurrection and given you new life in His heavenly life. We are united and joined to Him new creatures in Christ having put off the sinful nature. Let us live according to His life. Amen. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we give You thanks 
for the work of Jesus Christ, that we have a union with Him, that we are intertwined, made one with Him, that since He has died, we have died. Since He has risen, we have risen. And since He now lives, we now live. But yet, Lord, we still feel the grip of sin in our flesh. We pray, Lord, that You would help us to put it to death. Help us to receive, to rest, to trust in Christ and to look to Him when we fall, knowing that He forgives all sins because He loves us and gave Himself for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.